This week has been an astounding week at our nation's Capitol building. Since Wednesday, news feeds have been pipelining images of rage, hatred, anger, and fear into our homes. Five people died. I heard a statistic this week that even prior to this past Wednesday, about 60% of Americans cannot speak to their own family members about our national politic without inciting a rage-filled argument. Our division has been growing not just between strangers, but between loved ones. We cannot share a meal together because we cannot share words together. And this willingness toward anger, this love of meanness, it holds us captive away from strangers and loved ones alike. We are held captive by our ideologies, held captive by our conviction that we alone are right. We are held captive by the grudges that we have nurtured, by the anger that we have harbored, by the disdain that we so readily heap upon others. Some of us have tried, have been told that these insurrectionists at the Capitol were acting on behalf of freedom, but they were only acting as a display of our captivity to sin. Our scripture passage for today is also about captivity, but even more so, it's about the one who frees us from it. So I invite you to join me in reading Exodus 1, verses 8 through 14. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians began, became ruthless in imposing tasks upon the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. I invite you, my friends, to join me in prayer. God, we reach out to you and long to touch your face, long to hold your hand, long to know beyond doubt that we are surrounded by your love. Speak to our hearts today. Call us out of any darkness that we sit in and show us where the light is. Give us the courage to shine that light into other dark places. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times in our lives where we find that something that used to give us life, something that used to give us joy, 
eventually changes into something that steals our life away. It's the college kid who loved kicking back with a few friends and a few beers, who finds himself years later as an adult whose hands shake without a drink. It's the computer enthusiast who once loved cruising through the expanse of the internet in his free time to find that one day he can't get through a single day without pornography. It's the girl who loved fashion magazines as a teenager who later finds herself saddled with a closet full of clothes and way too much consumer debt. There are times in our lives where something that once offered us freedom changes to become our captor. Sometimes what used to free us slowly becomes the thing that binds us. The ancient Hebrews, they knew how this felt. As we continue our sermon series today, looking at the seven Hebrew words that every Christian needs to know, we come to the word Mitzrayim, which when translated means Egypt. In the Hebrew Bible, Egypt was the place where a young man named Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and held in prison. Egypt was where the king, Pharaoh, befriended Joseph, grateful that Joseph was able to translate the dreams that kept Pharaoh up each night. Egypt was the place where Joseph was eventually promoted as one of the leaders of government, one day providing food during a famine for the same brothers who sold him into captivity eventually establishing Egypt as a safe home for the Hebrews, who were his people. Egypt was a place that offered opportunity for the foreigner, that provided food for the hungry, that restored love between brothers. It was a place that offered freedom and life. But the root of the word, Mitzrayim, means to press upon. And eventually, Mitzrayim, Egypt, began to press upon the Hebrew people. Egypt began to crush them. The scripture says that a new king came into power in Egypt, one who did not value the history of the country's relationship with the Hebrew people, who didn't know anything about Joseph. So instead of living peacefully as one society, the new king turned on the Hebrews, saying, there are way too many of these Israelites for us to handle. We've got to do something. Let's devise a plan to contain them. Lest if there's a war, they should join our enemies or just walk off and leave us. So the Egyptians organized the Hebrews into work gangs and they put them to hard labor. The new setup, it really didn't improve their relationship at all. It only increased their animosity. The Egyptians got so that they couldn't stand the Hebrews, treating them worse than ever, making them miserable, crushing them under a cruel, cruel workload, treating them like animals. Eventually, a man named Moses would rise up as a leader among the Hebrews. 
a people whose collective faith had suffered after enduring years of slavery. Moses told them that God didn't want this for them, that God wanted them to be free, that there was a life to be lived away from Egypt, and that they were created for so much more than just enduring crushing oppression. Which means that Moses put the Hebrews in a position where they had to decide something. Were they going to stay with what they knew and remain captive to Egypt? Or were they going to follow God's invitation into an unknown land of freedom in a wounded faith? Was it better for them to remain with what was familiar, with the place that they knew had once given them life, even though that place was crushing them now? Or was it better for them to leave behind this familiar evil at the risk of encountering something they can't predict in the unknown, all in pursuit of a freedom that they weren't ever sure would be theirs. Moses did lead them out of captivity, but that didn't keep the Hebrews from grumbling along the way. In fact, as they wandered in the wilderness at Sinai, the Hebrews found themselves looking back fondly at the years that they spent in Egypt. They were idealizing their memories of living in captivity. They reshaped their memories to make them so much better than they were, remembering what it felt like to have their stomachs be full, but refusing to remember what it felt like to break rocks under the hot desert sun. They remembered what it felt like to welcome numerous children into their quarters, but they refused to remember what it felt like to have those children snatched away from them and drowned in the river. Egypt, Mitzrayim, pressed upon them within inches of their lives, and yet they found it difficult to admit to themselves that things had changed, that Egypt was no longer the place that offered them life, that the place that once offered them freedom had now become their captor. Friends, we, like the Hebrews, we have a tendency to reshape the past too and to make it better than it actually was in our memory. We, like the Hebrews, also find it difficult to admit to ourselves when something that we once loved no longer loves us. When something that once helped us feel free is now the thing that holds us captive. It can be things like alcohol or pornography or money. It can be addictions to work or to food or to attention. But often, the thing that holds us captive the most does not exist outside of us. It exists within us. It's the ideology that says that some people are inherently more valuable than others. It's the self-labeled identity or the personal history that we use to make us feel superior. It's the pattern of thinking 
that we choose to smugly wrap around us like a warm and penetrable blanket, muffling the cries and the shouts of the people around us. We, like the Hebrews, can find it difficult to decide between remaining with the known evil that is so familiar or following God toward the freedom that might only be found if we walk in a shaky faith. The thing is that God makes it very clear about what God wants for us. God wants us free from the things that press in on us. God wants us free from captivity. God does not want us to settle and accept that any known evil will ever treat us better than God's unknown and expansive freedom. God wants us to live free from every single thing that tries to bind us. Which brings me to the question, my friends, what is pressing in on your life right now? What situation used to make you feel free but now holds you captive? Where in your life is God inviting you to leave what might be familiar and comfortable and toxic in order to follow in faith into the unknown so that you might experience freedom? God wants us to be able to experience more joy, more freedom, away from the addiction, away from the smugness, away from the narrow place of certainty that prevents us from experiencing the broadness of all of God's creation. So where is God asking you and me to make the hard decision of walking away from the thing that binds us? I once saw a woman make this hard choice. It was a bride whose wedding I was officiating. As we talked about the couple's vision for their marriage, she began to share her story with me. Raised by a father who was abusive and demeaning, she felt safe in relationships that were also abusive and demeaning. She was discarded by one man after another told that she was worthless, left at times abandoned with nothing. Until she had met this man who she was meeting with me to marry. She was a beautiful woman. And yet her husband was the first person to ever tell her that she was worth even more than her beauty. She was ashamed of her past and her husband was the first person to tell her that she would not be defined by her worst decisions, that nothing terrible that had happened to her could ever define who she was and determine her worth. When I asked her why she wanted to be married, she responded matter-of-factly, because this love is the thing that frees me from everything that has ever bound me. Who 
who wouldn't want a love like that? Friends, the good news is we are all offered that same love. So the question is, what will it take for us to open our eyes, recognize that our captors weren't who we thought they were, and embrace that love? Amen.